Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Hello, and welcome to the Coffee Clutch Special Needs Radio. I'm Mae Wilkinson, accompanied by Mary Ann Russo, who will be operating our switchboard. Today, we are delighted to welcome Lynn Heilbrunn, Research Coordinator at the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. Lynn is here to present the results of her study into environmental substances that can cause developmental delays and other neurological disturbances. The study, aptly named the Tooth Fairy Project, examined the baby teeth enamel of children with a diagnosis of of an autism spectrum disorder. Some of the substances found in our children's teeth will absolutely astound you. To tell you more, please welcome Lynn Heilbrunn. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Please, very pleased to have you with us. So, Lynn, tell us more about the origins of the study, including why you chose children's baby teeth and who sponsored the study. Sure. I would like to first acknowledge that I'm just one of several researchers on a team and that we came together because we have both professional and personal interests in autism and other developmental disorders. We're scientists that have children with autism and ADHD. And we strongly believe that some forms of autism, but not all, um, are associated with an environmental exposure combined with a genetic susceptibility. And I'll give a couple of examples of that a little bit later on. Our research is supported by the latest uh, twin studies showing that fraternal twins are more likely to develop autism than identical twins. Um, So why did we choose baby teeth? Well, for several years we had been using parental surveys to get at exposures from the mother um, for children who are already diagnosed with either autism or ADHD. And there are recall biases that are built into those. It's very difficult to remember how um, you know how much medication you gave, or, or how many times you had an exterminator out, especially if you have more than one child. We had also been using dust samples and air samples, but those only give you a snapshot in time of what the child might have been exposed to. Although dust samples can give you a somewhat of a historical perspective. Hair samples can also give you some ideas, but they've been unreliable in some studies. 
So we were looking for a valid biomarker of exposure that would give us information on what the child was exposed to in utero. And T performed around 13 or 14 weeks. They start, they begin forming the first, the central incisors. And then other teeth are, are crowned finally at about 11 months of age. And we do believe there may be some exposure up until the time the teeth fall out. But there are researchers, there's another research team that has shown that they can pinpoint the timing of heavy metal exposure down to the week of pregnancy. So we do know that these are going to be very useful um, exposure um, biomarkers. And so we started brainstorming in December of 2010 when we had difficulty with funding. And, and we talked about the possibility of using teeth. They had been used with heavy metals. And back in the um, 60s and 70s, they detected lead. And they dis um, discovered that the higher the amount of lead, the lower the IQ. But no one had ever looked at the semi-volatile organic chemicals things like pesticides and plastics and medications. These are the types of chemicals that come into the body and they do their damage and then they leave very quickly without uh, much of a trace. And so there's a lot of skepticism from some people on our research team on whether or not we'd be even able to detect them. So we um, personally dug through our drawers and we had scientists at Southwest <laughs> Research <laughs> Institute um, dig up their, some of their children's teeth, and we decided to test for the first chemical, which was acetaminophen. And um, I'll never forget the day that we received the email that they had discovered acetaminophen in the baby teeth. And so I immediately emailed back and said, please look for the organophosphate, the pesticides. And I, I'll tell you more about that later, why I have a keen interest in, in that chemical. Um, so it wasn't long after that that we received an email that they had found the organophosphates in the teeth. So this this was a real game changer for, for our, our research team. We had actually been together on and off for about 10 years, and so we were just so excited. And a, a local news station picked up um, that we had published on this, and our PI, Ray Palmer, did a, an interview, and that was then picked up by CNN Headline News. And then I was flooded with calls from all over the United States of people wanting to donate teeth. So I directed them to Ian, and Ian is the Interactive Autism Network. They're the nation's largest online autism research project and registry. And um, if your listeners would like to learn more about them, they can go to enproject.org. Um, that's one word, enproject.org. So, so that's how we chose the baby teeth. And I think you asked me also about the sponsors. Our original sponsor was the Department of Defense, and they funded us to do some of the surveys that we did and then the initial um, exploration for acetaminophen. And then Southwest Research Institute, which is where our chemists are, also funded part of our study. And we, we gathered 21 teeth from a dental clinic just to see what else we could find in the baby teeth uh, in the general population. 
And then we were funded by internally by the Institute for Integration of Science and Medicine at our at our university at, at the UT Health Science Center here. Um, and then we were funded by Autism Speaks to analyze 71 teeth of the, of the over 900 teeth that we have to look for additional chemicals. And now currently we have a private donor who is um, funding a portion of my salary. And um, all of our other researchers are volunteers right now because the funding has, has um, gone down and we're waiting on another grant to come in through the NIH where we might hear about that in April and we're very hopeful. So uh, just the NIH, Lynn, just for our audience, is the National Institute of Health. And I'm so glad that you spoke at length about the methodology and your approach to the study. We want to be very careful to make sure that our audience knows that this is a very scientific-based uh, team collaborative effort, and you're working and, and uh, partner with various other universities that may be involved in similar research. But what we want to make sure is this study is based upon bedrock data, scientific approaches, and is kind of separate from some of the, there's a, there's a lot of kind of trendy and popular um, anecdotal stuff floating around about toxic substances and things like that. We want to make sure that our audience knows that this is firmly grounded in a true and is a true scientific <coughs> endeavor. So moving on, how did you, um, how did you analyze the teeth? Uh, so, so you collected a bunch of these and then you did something with them to find out what was left inside the tooth enamel. How did that work? Well, um, after we recorded them as they arrived, we had a dentist identify which tooth it was when they were carefully cataloged and then sent to Southwest Research Institute where they used a, a technique called mass spectrometry. They had five chemists working on this project because each of the different types of chemicals require a different method to analyze them. For example, pesticides are different than fatty acids, and so each, each different type of, of chemical, as I said, require a different method. And they developed those methods over time. Mm -hmm. They also eventually used a method called GCGC-TOF, which is a type of 2D gas chromatography coupled with mass spectrometry. And with that, we were able to find over 40 chemicals. We confirmed 20 of those using standards. And there are hundreds of peaks of other unidentified chemicals that, that we haven't um, analyzed yet. So um, that's basically how we um, looked for the chemicals in the teeth. They were first ground and then um, t um, little 50 milligram amounts of them were, were mixed with chemicals and then analyzed through the methods I just described. Wow, it's a very exacting process. <laughs> Sounds like it's a very exacting process, Lynn. Um, so, well, let's cut to the chase. What, um, I looked at the list and, and I, was, I was floored. You want to tell us about some of the things you found in our kids' teeth? Sure. Well, we talked about acetaminophen. Um, did you want me to talk about some of the health effects along with it? Or do yeah, you want me to uh, I, 
Yeah, I, I don't want to steal your thunder, but, um, you know, some of the things that you shared with me that <laughs> were, you know, kind of scary. So uh, we don't want to scare anyone, but, but I think they do need to be aware of uh, some of the things that, that are lurking in, in our environment. So go ahead. Sure. Well, um, I mentioned acetaminophen, and it's been associated with liver toxicity. In fact, it's the number one drug taken by pregnant women. Um, It has been associated recently with autism and asthma and ADHD, along with some birth defects, um, such as gastroschisis. We found pesticides such as chlorpyrifos. This is a type of organophosphate pesticide, and I'm going to kind of pick on this one because we have a lot of research to back up the health effects of this one. This was a pesticide commonly used in the 80s and 90s and restricted for indoor use around 2000, but it's still being used on all of our fruits and vegetables. And so we um, are still getting exposures that way, and we're also getting exposures through our homes because the half-life or the amount of time that it takes to break down indoors is much longer than what we originally thought. But this particular pesticide has been related to um, abnormal reflexes in infants, attention problems including ADHD, pervasive developmental disorder, which is a form of autism, and drops in measures of mental development and psychomotor development at at 36 months of age. And in a Harvard study, they found that prenatal and current exposures were associated with difficulty with fine motor coordination tests. And they concluded that prenatal pesticide exposure may cause lasting neurotoxic damage. Since then, the abnormal reflexes um, were confirmed in another study. They found decreases in IQ. Um, ADHD was confirmed again in a national study of over 1,000 children. Um, decreased head circumference, preterm birth, abnormal growth of the neurons and the brain have been associated with this pesticide, and it's also been associated with childhood cancer. Mm. Oh, no. Now, so, so, Lynn, uh, part of this is the substance itself, and then part of this is the individual genetic makeup of the child that may make them more susceptible to these substances. Absolutely. Is that correct? Okay. Just wanted to that's, make sure. That's true. In fact, um, it depends on, they have identified the gene that detoxifies this, and some people fall below the 10th percentile in their ability to detoxify this, this pesticide. So they're going to be, they're the ones that are going to have many more of the side effects. And it affects adults differently. Um, they have a, a different set of symptoms. Depression, anxiety, confusion, memory loss have been associated with um, this pesticide. So um, we've also found insect repellents. We've, and those have been associated with seizures and movement disorders and brain inflammation. Other types of pesticides, I won't go through all the names because they're long scientific names, but another type of chemical that we found are phthalates, and we're really concerned about these phthalates. They've been making um, news recently, the BPA, and just this morning I ran across an article 
saying it's not just BPA. We need to be concerned about the other plastics. And um, I will go through some ways that we can avoid some of these plastics but uh, or some of these phthalates. They're found in perfumes and fragrances and, and in toothbrushes and, and toys and, and child care articles, in our food packaging and cosmetics and aspirin. They're found in PVCs and carpet backings and paints and glues, hairspray, nail polish. I can just keep going the list of, of places where we find these. And oh. they have been shown to be harmful to children at all stages of development, also associated with ADHD, oppositional defiant disorder, and contact, uh, I'm sorry, conduct disorder. Oh, so, so, it, so it's not just... It, it, so it sounds to me like it's not just some of the traditional types of things that we see, the, the physical delays or the learning disabilities. It can also affect, uh, cause problems, be, problematic behaviors in our children as well. It's, that's true. The pesticides and the phthalates. So what, what I think you're saying is that um, that it can affect the whole organism, the whole body, not just bits and pieces of it. Is that is that what you're saying? That's true. It affects okay. the immune system, the nervous system. They can affect the GI system. I know that the pesticides can affect the GI system, definitely. So I, I know that's what you're alluding to. You've said the brain, you've said the liver, you've said the the immune system, but it, it really, it, is, is it a, you're finally starting to see which part of the body that, that some of these chemicals can affect, but it also sounds like it's a cocktail that can attack anything. That's true. Um, pesticides, there's not one part of the body that we know that it doesn't affect. You know, if you think about it, they're neurotoxic, and our nervous system runs throughout the body, through every organ. Um, but they also affect the DNA. There's studies showing where they change the ability of the DNA to repair itself. So we, you know, scientists are still studying these chemicals, and um, with the West Virginia disaster, we know that there are so many chemicals out there that have not been studied. We just don't know all the health effects. We're just at the tip of the iceberg. There's over 80,000 chemicals in commerce, and only a few hundred have been studied for their neurodevelopmental toxicity. Mm. My goodness. All right. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt, but keep going with some of these other things that you found. Sure. We found a chemical called benzophenone. This um, is in perfumes and soaps. It's um, also in uh, maybe in sunscreens. It prevents UV light damage. Um, it affects thyroid hormones, which in turn can affect neurodevelopment. We found chemicals such as benzothiazole, benzyl alcohol, benzyl benzoate. Naphthalene is a chemical that used to be used in mothballs, but is also commonly found in exhaust fumes, and it's associated with damage to the liver and nervous system, as well as anemia. Phenol mm. is another uh, chemical that we found. Uh, it's a precursor to plastics and nylon. It's found in detergents and herbicides and other medications. There are very few studies. There are no human reproductive or developmental studies on that, but we do have some animal studies showing fetal body, uh, reduced fetal body weight, growth retardation, abnormal development, and decreased maternal weight gain 
as well as maternal mortality, and that's in animal studies. I'd like to mention that the studies that I talked about with the pesticides, those were human studies. Mm. Um, another chemical that we discovered is triphenylphosphate, and this is an OP flame retardant found in um, all types of products, including nail polish, of all things, and it's a plasticizer as well. It's been shown to cause damage to the nervous system. It can cause weakness and that pins and needles feeling and also poor coordination. It has a similar effect to the organophosphate pesticide that I mentioned earlier in birds. It's very toxic to birds. Mm -hmm. So those are just a few. As I mentioned, we found over 40 chemicals. And I can't begin to, we would run out of time <laughs> if I um, discussed all of the, the chemicals that we discovered. Um, I wanted to mention that a lot of the chemicals that we're finding are in personal care products, things that we apply to our skin like sunscreen and lotions. And anything with fragrance in it mm -hmm. is not regulated by um, the EPA because it's considered a trade secret. So chemical manufacturers can put any ingredient they, they choose in there, whether it's toxic or not. So those are some of the chemicals that we really need to be careful about. Oh, my. So uh, let's, let's say that, that our children have been exposed to some of these. They have the genetic predisposition to be sensitive to them, and sure enough, they've had some sort of um, neurological damage done to some parts of their body. How is it possible for recovery? Is the body that, um, does the body have the ability to recover from exposure to these? Well, you know, it depends on the dose and the genetics, but we do have, um, there are ways to recover, and that's um, through nutrients, a, a good diet, a, a diet that's based on um, whole foods rather than processed foods, organic foods. And we want to definitely reduce the environmental exposures in the home that, that make, um, make these symptoms worse. Um, they can be made worse by environmental stressors too, um, psychosocial stressors. So we can and we, and we do recover. Um, my family and I were exposed and we, we did recover. But there are some long-lasting neurological effects in, in my children. Mm -hmm. mm. I'm sorry, Lynn. So when you talked about, what did you say, hypersocial environmental triggers, can you define that? Oh, um, psychosocial. Psychosocial, thank you. Um, well, you know, there's stress in terms of... Um, any types of psychological stress can, can make the environmental exposures worse. And so, you know, we would want to reduce those if possible. But I think the, the, the biggest thing that we can do or that we as a team recommend are reducing those environmental exposures in the home. And I have uh, about 10 recommendations that we um, give out to people during our talks and our presentations. So I can go over some of those as well. That would be perfect. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, our top ten recommendations um, I'll go through. So we'll say instead of doing this, try this. So instead of spraying pesticides 
or using exterminator services. Try baits and traps. I'm a, a big fan of boric acid. It's not to be confused with borax. This is a powder that I use in between the cabinets underneath the refrigerator. I don't recommend it for people that have small infants that are crawling around, but this, this is a very effective non-toxic um, powder, fairly non-toxic powder compared to all the other chemicals on the market, and it's, it's recommended by um, uh, many other researchers in terms of, of what to use. Instead of using regular paint, go with non-VOC paint or paints that have less pigments in them. And rather than using strong cleaners, go back to things like baking soda and vinegar. Over the past 14 years, I've made a lot of these changes, and, and, and I don't want to overwhelm parents who are listening to this because all those chemicals um, are, sound very scary, but there are things that we can do and we can make these changes over time and it's not going to happen overnight. It, it has taken me over 10 years to make a lot of these changes. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't use any scented products in my home. I've stopped using perfumes. Essential organic oils are okay. Some of the more natural things, you have to be careful of what is labeled natural because that's not necessarily natural. But so I use fragrance-free products to clean with um, in my home. And instead of particle board furnishings, we recommend solid wood or metal furniture or items that have already outgassed all, outgassed all of those chemicals. Mm -hmm. And rather than installing new carpet, go for tile or wood um, and use washable rugs. Rather than using Teflon cookware, we recommend using ceramic or cast iron or stainless steel, depending on whether or not you might have a nickel allergy. And rather than canned or processed foods, we recommend fresh or frozen foods. And instead of conventional produce, we recommend going to the Environmental Working Group website to look at their Clean 15 and Dirty Dozen. There are studies that show that um, when you change a child's diet to organic produce from conventional, that the pesticide residues actually go away after five days. They can't detect the pesticide residues in the urine anymore. So we highly recommend uh, going organic if you can afford them. And um, if you have trouble affording them, go ahead and try to do the, the Clean 15. And they base their um, their recommendations off the FDA's yearly testing of produce. So the Clean 15, they say you can buy conventionally, and the Dirty Dozen, um, they say try to buy organic. And I try to buy organic in, in bulk so that it's a little less expensive. Mm -hmm. so, so those are our recommendations. Now, Lynn, you, you said uh, when we were talking earlier that it may not be just one, one thing. It, it can be just exposure to a lot of um, different things that can assault the body in, in a negative way. So you said it took you 10 years to kind of reconfigure your household to get rid of a lot of these things that you think may be triggering um, neurological difficulties in our children. But even just cutting back a little bit here and there, will that, that will help, certainly. Is that correct? Absolutely. It's it's kind of like a cup that fills up with each exposure. And, and 
every time you take away one thing, you are, are lessening or reducing the chance that you will have some of the effects from these chemicals. So I would like to emphasize the pesticides, the strong cleaners in the homes and the fragrances because we tend to put fragrance all over our bodies. We tend to rub certain lotions on our children and and we need to be um, careful about those. I, I just remembered another important and very useful tool from the Environmental Working Group. It's, a, it's an app that you can download right to your telephone. Uh, I'm sorry, to your cell phone. And you can scan the products as you shop, and it will give you feedback on the chemicals and their toxicity, and it will rank them so you can choose the less toxic products um, for your children and for yourself. Wonderful. And that's called Skin Deep. I needed to mention that. Skin Deep. Gotcha. We we will try to um, collect all of these from you and post them on our site. In the meantime, we just have a few more minutes left. Lynn, what can we as a community of caring parents do to help further your research? How can we participate? Well, thank you for asking. We need tooth donations from children with and without autism. We especially need teeth from siblings where one child has autism and the other does not have autism. We, we have One of the studies that we have going in right now is focused on the siblings, but we have other case control where we're comparing just um, children with autism and children from families that don't have any type of neurodevelopmental disorder. And how but can they all... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's all um, right. How can they get the teeth to you? Um, well, our website is um, at http colon forward slash forward slash tinyurl.com. <laughs> But it's we'll, long, I'm sorry. We'll post it. it. Okay, post it. And, um, okay, great. Uh, do you need me to keep going with it then? Or? <laughs> no, I think it's so big that I don't think anybody has a pencil and paper nearby, so we'll post it for you. But we'll grab sure. that. So basically it's, it's pretty easy. You go to the website and you say, I'd like to donate a tooth, and you do what you did for us, send out a questionnaire and a little plastic bag and instructions for how to ship the tooth. So it's really easy to participate. Did you also sure. want us to, those who donate teeth, to also link, give you an access to our EN links if we are participants in that study as well? That would be great. Um, that would be great. We also need help with donations to help analyze the teeth. We're, we're operating off of a tiny budget that is um, running very low. I'm the only paid person on the project right now, and I've gone half time to extend the money. Uh, um, until we can get further funding. It, it costs up to $1,000 a tooth to have them analyzed, and that's without looking at some of the um, changes in the DNA that might have occurred due to the chemical exposure. Um, and if this project speaks to someone personally, then we encourage you to donate through that same website. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, and what are some of the things that, you know, provided the funding comes along, what are you going to be looking at next in your research? Well, we have plans to do the case control studies, as I mentioned earlier, um, where we have a child with autism compared to the child who doesn't have autism. 
We want to look at the numbers of chemicals and the types of chemicals. We've been able to extract DNA from the pulp of the tooth, so we want to look at how the DNA might have been changed through methylation. And uh, when I say methylation, this, you hear about this a lot in epigenetics. Um, epigenetics are changes to the DNA um, without changing the, the backbone of the DNA. There's no mutations that are caused. It's where chemicals attach to the DNA and they change the expression of it. So, um, so it's not necessarily causing cancer, but it's affecting the way our DNA makes proteins and how we metabolize toxins. Mm-hmm. So that's, those are some of the studies that we want to continue with. And we, we want to analyze as many teeth as possible so that we can um, have what we call power in the study to show true differences between cases and controls. So we feel like if we can, if, you know, since everybody's exposed, it, it's likely not just the exposures, it could be our genetic susceptibilities to those exposures mm-hmm. and the combination of them. Well, I think your work is wonderful. I think it's going to be very unifying and enlightening for our community. I think it's going to separate out a lot of the anecdotal um, information for or popular information from, you know, true, some, some really good, solid bedrock findings. So, Lynn, thank you. And we wish you all the luck in the world and we'll do our best to get our the word out so that you can get more teeth and i just wanted to say thank you so much for being here we really appreciate everything that you and your team are doing so oh, thank you so much i appreciate it so with that we'll sign off um the broadcast will be available for airing at uh and we will also send you and our community that link so you talked about a lot of things and i know that people would like to kind of listen to it slowly and and really start to think about some of the things and insights that you've provided today. So thank you all, everyone, um, and we will see you next time. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye.